I love a good party. I like to look for reasons to celebrate and have a big party. This is part of the reason why I loved college-age ministry so much was because most people go to college to party. They don't go really to go to get an education. It's more of a big party. And so if you can convert them to Christ, they know how to throw a really good party in God's name, right? It's, and so I really enjoyed that. I mean, we used to have our own dance parties uh, at the, our campus house. Uh, one of the guys actually rigged up a, uh, we got cream soda, and he took a fuel pump from a uh, his motorcycle, cleaned it all out, of course, and had rigged up so that we could have our own cream soda keg, all right? Uh, and so it was like, hey, come to the keg party at Campus Christians. And it was like, wait, what? And, you know, it just and it made people kind of think, but I love a good party. And there's a reason for that, because God loves to party. Most people don't think that. They think he's actually like a killjoy, right? That God is the one that when things are starting, everybody's starting to have fun, that all of a sudden he just comes and says, nope, not doing that. Uh, and, but actually in Luke 15.10, all right, Luke 15.10, uh, it's talking about when uh, someone comes to Christ uh, and repents. And it says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Now, the, look, most of the time I've read this, all right, and then somebody had to point out to me, where is the, who's in the presence of God's angels? God. God. The whole Trinity, they start celebrating when one sinner repents. I used to think that was all heaven, and it's actually, it, the passage actually talks about it's the God in the presence of the angels, they all start celebrating. When one sinner repents, that is the reason why he celebrates. And, and actually, when you look through Scripture, when you see like wine mentioned, it's actually in a lot of times connected to celebrating. All right, The first miracle, uh, the first miracle, I don't think it's any mistake that the first miracle that Jesus did was to, create, to turn water into wine because he didn't want the celebration or party to stop. And I, and I always love that. He doesn't like... When he says this, and there's like, mom comes and says, hey, we need to create more, uh, figure this out type thing, he doesn't get into the whole lecture about alcohol, because they've already had plenty by that time, right? But instead, he just goes and he creates the best wine that has ever been tasted, so that the party could continue. I love a poet actually said that the, when the water saw the face of its maker, it blushed to talk about when the water turned into wine. I love that imagery. And then you look through Scripture in the Old Testament, a lot of time is, de is designated towards holidays. How are you going to celebrate, all right? How are you going to remember? And there's times, a whole, every seven years, there's supposed to be a whole year of Jubilee. And this is all to show us what's coming, the grand party, heaven, all right? I, it's not hell. Everybody thinks, hey, I, I don't want to be singing, uh, playing my harp and singing all the time. I want to go where the real fun's at, and that's in hell. That is not the case. That is the biggest lie that is out there. Hell is isolation, and it's torment, and it's pain for eternity. Heaven is where the party is at, and that's where we're all headed. But we are clearly not in heaven. I don't know if you've noticed that, but life is not a party. It is hard. 
So what happened? What happened to, if it created out this way, this is where we're headed, what happened? Well, as Christians, we know, right? We know what happened, that there's sin, and, and that's what, why the things are hard. And the solution is the gospel, is Jesus. The world, though, they just know that there's a problem. So they misdiagnose it. They're like, all right, this isn't right, so we're going to fix it by doing this. All right, this, this isn't right, so we're going to take money from these people and give it to these people, and then that's, that's going to make it right. Or, or this is, we're just going to condemn the problem. But they don't really have a solution. Their solution, most of the time, it deals with politics. But that's, we'll get into that here in a minute. The biggest thing is, is that we all know that things are not okay. And things need to change. And the question is, how are we going to bring about that change? And God has the answer. And it's all about inviting people to the party. Now, just remember where we're at in 2 Timothy. All right, 2 Timothy, we're going to get into 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, 1 through 5. But just to, to look at the context, all right? We've dealt with ourselves in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. It talks about Timothy, uh, hey, you need to prepare yourself for suffering. You need to know the word, all right, because it comes from God. And so he's kind of exhorted Timothy to uh, submit himself to God's word. And once you've done that, then you're ready to proclaim. You're ready to tell people about the party. And it's kind of that whole saying of preach to yourself and then to the world, right? And that's what we're going to see today in this passage. And I'm actually going to read from two different translations because they each have something in there that I think helps understand it uh, better. So, first, the New Living Translation. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. All right? Now, the... English ESV, or the English Standard Version, also says it this way. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. All right, so let's break this down verse by verse, pulling out from here what it is, what it is that we need to have arm ourselves with so that we're immovable, so that we can uh, bring others to the party. And I want you to first notice, and this is where I kind of notice most uh, the difference, was in New Living Translation, it says, I solemnly urge you, all right? I really like the way the ESV says it's more of a charge, all right? This is a military decree to stay on point. 
It's not just a, hey, this would be great if you did this. No, this is a command. This is, hey, I'm passing on the baton, as we're about to see later on uh, next uh, on Thursday, is, is that Paul is handing off the baton to Timothy. He is given a charge here, and he's doing it in God's presence. And we need to recognize that we are constantly, at all times, in God's presence. I mean, if we really actually live that way, we would live a completely different way. If we really realize that we are in God's presence at all time, we might be a little bit more bold to say what needs to be said. We might be a little bit more quick to deal with matters. We might be more likely to live as God calls us to. And he goes on, he says, uh, he urges you in God and Christ Jesus, but who will someday, all right, someday, listen, someday he is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And I, my question to you is, what do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? I mean, think about that. We don't know the exact time or hour when that might happen. I mean, it might happen like today. It might happen in the middle of this message. But what do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? I mean, do you want to be in the midst of that sin or bitterness or resentment or, and, and dealing with that stuff? Or would you rather be doing something in service and, and obedience to Jesus? I mean, for me, I think it would be awesome if in the middle of a sermon, I mean, he came back. I could just be like, look, look, here he is. He, there he is. Or, or, or be, baptizing someone, right? And when they're coming up out of the water, all of a sudden, there's Jesus. How awesome would that be? End of the day, though, we need to recognize that someday, someday he will come back. And when he does, we will have to stand before him, and we will be judged. All right? We won't be condemned because Jesus has already paid for that penalty, but we, all of our deeds, all of our motivations will be laid bare. And he says that the kingdom, he's coming to set up his kingdom. And God's, that's God's, uh, the kingdom is God's power. And wherever, and wherever and whenever God's people become instruments of God's power, the kingdom is there. The kingdom is here. It's now. But it's going to be firmly established when Jesus comes back once and for all. In verse 2, preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Here's the thing I want you to recognize, and you're like, well, I'm not really called to preach. I'm not one to preach. We all believers participate directly in church and, and the ministry of the church. We don't get to say, well, I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to do this. Let's look at this word preach. Okay, There is the preaching uh, on Sundays before the congregation. We've already looked at that in 1 Timothy and, and, and how God has established who's supposed to be doing that. But let's look at this word preach. You see, before electricity, before PA systems, before YouTubers, it wasn't quite as easy to get a message out to a large number of people back then. All right? And your, your options were pretty limited to, write, to either writing letters or going around telling everybody. And this is where a herald would come in. A herald was a type of messenger, oftentimes somebody with a loud voice, 
who would be sent by kings and noblemen to deliver a message and proclamations. The kings would employ heralds to loudly proclaim their message in a way that everyone could hear. Not only that, but kings would send heralds ahead of them as they journeyed to a city to proclaim the king's message and to instruct people to become uh, to make preparations for the arrival of the king. People, when the herald would come in, you would know who he was. As they were coming into town, the people would be like, oh, there's a message. And they would all gather around, and when everybody was there, then the herald would give the message to the people. And sometimes it might not be very popular, but that was not the herald's job to edit the mail. And the herald, he could do so fiercely because he was protected by the king and noblesmen. The role of the church of you and I is to be a herald for the king and the kingdom. We take the message of the king, King Jesus, and we proclaim it boldly and clearly. And the word to describe and to the function of a herald is typically translated proclaim or preach. And it is one of the most commonly used words for declaring the gospel of the kingdom. So while you might not stand before a congregation to preach, you are supposed to be preaching the gospel message, the word of God, every day. Unfortunately, not many want to want our king or to hear what he has to say. But that's where we hold on, that someday he will come. And knowing that he's coming, we don't have an option, but we have to proclaim his message. The Word of God. I think that's very important. And ESV, it just says to preach the, uh, to preach the Word, but NLT says preach the Word of God. We have a lot of people out there that are trying to preach, but they're preaching more of their own message, or they're, they're siding more with the culture and, and, and bringing that in. The herald of the king declares the king's message, not their own. It wasn't their job to edit the mail. It was simply their job to say the message. Because God's, and this is where we have to have that boldness, that knowing that God's word changes everything. 2 Timothy 3.17, all, all scripture is God-breathed. And since it comes from God, it's uh, sufficient for anything that we might face. And it changes everything. The gospel is the only thing that truly changes hearts. It's the only way to truly deal with the problems that we see in this world. And when gospel, God's word is preached, it's, something's going to happen. People will be mad, sad, or glad, but they will never be the same. If God's word is not the center of what is taking place, then it's not really ministry. God's word has to be the center of everything that we do and say. And if we're speaking about anything else or any other type of solution, then really we're just wasting our breath. says, be prepared. Be prepared. Be on guard. Stand by it and keep at it. Don't, don't try to just, well, that is a harsh word and I hurt some feelings there. No, you got to stand by it and keep at it. Whether people like it or not, you have to stand by God's word because you recognize that you are in the presence of God at all times and that someday you will be judged and you want to be found faithful. And he goes in and says to correct. 
All right, and this is this is where the NLT kind of they say correct, rebuke, and encourage. ESV says reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And actually, the ESV is a little bit closer to what is actually meant here. To correct or to reprove is actually the better definition. It's a patient kind of correction through general type teaching. A rebuke is more of a sterner, uh, sterner authoritative warning or uh, proclamation of immediately, like you need to stop this. And so the, as we are preaching God's word, we are going to have to point out and correct those that are in error. We're going to have to take those time to warn those that don't heed the correction. And it, this is a big difference that we see in our culture. The culture is really big on condemnation, all right, because that's the, the world by Satan and its forces. That's what they know. They know condemnation. So you don't want to tolerate me. You don't want to go along with what I say or use my pronouns. Condemnation on you. All right, because that comes from the world and Satan. Whereas God's word is more about conviction. That if, if when God's word is spoken and you're going through it and you're like, ooh, that kind of hit a little bit close to home, that's conviction. And that's when you have that chance to either you can soften your heart and repent of it, and the Holy Spirit comes and helps you to change, or you harden your heart and say, I'm not going to accept that. But it all comes through preaching the word. You give that opportunity for people to have a new life. He goes, it says encouragement. A better word is exhort here. To urge uh, uh, to better than, uh, is better than encourage. The, it's the urging and exhortation to put into practical lifestyle this response. Like, hey, let's put this into practice. And when we see people actually put into practice, here's what often ends up happening in the church culture, is that we try to bring them down. Like, whoa, 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 that's a little too radical. Let's just bring that back just a little bit, right? You need to be realistic, all right? Instead of fanning into flame, like, hey, you know what? Maybe you're onto something. Like, let's pray about it. Let's, let's, instead of, like, Instead of encouraging, exhorting people that are actually putting their faith into action, oftentimes we want to pull them back because they're living out their faith is making us feel bad about how we're not. And so many times us being realistic actually robs so many of us seeing God do amazing things. He says to do all this with patience, to patiently rebuke, or to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. All right. He says to be patient in all things. Complete patience. Because here's the thing. As we preach God's word, as we are giving, exhorting, and everything, and proclaiming God's word, the temptation is to alter the message. That's the temptation. Because especially as we keep proclaiming the message of God's word and we don't see any change and we're not seeing any type of growth of any kind, then the, the, the lot of people will end up watering it down. And sadly, we see this even today where the, and I get it, I get it. But we see this a lot of times in churches where they will alter the message, lower down the standard so that more people might attend. Because the more people I attend, then the more money we might be able to get so that I can provide a life for my family. So many times there's that temptation there, and we have to be faithful knowing that God will provide exactly what we need. I just need to patiently 
and faithfully preach the word. We need to be immovable in the gospel. And the reason being is because of verses 3 and 4. But a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. All right? Why must Timothy and us remain faithful and preach the word of God at all times? Because the day is here when people will no longer listen to sound wholesome teaching. The very thing that will bring them life, bring them into the party, they reject. And we have to hold faithful knowing that we're in God's presence and someday he's coming back and we want to stand approved by him. But so many times we've turned to different choices because we don't like that choice. And so sometimes we just, we, we've, we've turned more to the politics and thinking politicians are going to do things. Listen, I want to just save you guys a lot of heartache and pain as you go into being able to vote in, in years ahead. Politicians change nothing, all right? They don't. It's just more and more of the worst of the worst. And here's the thing that you need to realize. Nations have politicians. The kingdom of God has prophets. And nothing changes until a prophet shows up. And the prophets are those that speak out against what's going on, what the norm, what the majority is saying, and speaking out against what the politicians are pushing into practice. The politicians, they either do one of two things. They either do whatever everyone wants, or they take control of everybody and subdue them so that the politician gets what they want. But the thing is, is that God never gets what he wants in any of those situations. The prophet faithfully preaches and and proclaims God's word, and it says what God says, no matter the consequences. Because it's not about the politician getting what they want or the people getting what they want, but it's about God getting what he wants. And what he wants is humble hearts and people that will surrender to him so he can use them in his kingdom. He wants people to come to the party. And what we need today is more prophets and less politicians who will proclaim the word of God. Who will take time to actually listen to God and then speak what God is saying. And for some of you, that might be what you need to be considering, that God is putting on your heart that you need to be going into ministry. But regardless, we need to be taking that time and taking it upon ourselves that we fall more realizing that God's hope is where things are really at and not putting our hope in man. This just came to mind. This isn't any of my notes. Isaiah 2, 22. Don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? And that's what we need to take that to heart. We need to recognize that our hope is in something, someone so much greater than some politician. And we need to keep carrying on the ministry even in opposition. In fact, in Isaiah 6, he actually goes into saying, uh, after the seeing God and he's saying, who should we send? He says, send me. And God says, he, uh, yes, go and say to the people, listen carefully, but do that, 
Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see their, with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand, their he- heart, understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. That is a hard message to give. And what God is saying is like, listen, you're going to have to proclaim my message faithfully. Don't, don't edit the mail. But you need to give the message even when people are going to be opposed to it. And they will. And he gives the thing in, in 2 Timothy, he talks about these itchy ears, which is the metaphor for curiosity, and that they're trying to find these spicy bits of information to, to, to make them feel better. And I love how the ESV actually says that they, they accumulate for themselves. It's, I, I picture this idea of, of trading cards and collectibles that we try to do. And we see this as we try to get more and more books or listen to more and more podcasts that we try to accumulate all these different teachings, hoping that we'll find someone that will say that it's okay what God says no. That they, someone will come along and justify what we want to do, even though God says clearly, no, you shouldn't do it. They accumulate for themselves. Teacher who suit their own passions. They want to find someone that will say, hey, you know what? I know here in the scripture it says not to do that, but it's really okay. Sweet. And it eases that burden. And that's why they become so easy prey for false teaching. Verse 5, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. He says, keep your head. Or in ESV it says that you should be uh, sober-minded. In a day and age when everybody else is acting drunk, we should be sober-minded. Many do not keep their heads, thus they act rashly, they have muddled thinking, uh, and they're uncritically accepting of false doctrines. we got to keep our head, especially when the suffering starts coming our way. The opposition comes in. We have to stay immovable, knowing that we're standing with the king, that we are proclaiming his message. And I love how he ends this part. He says, work at telling others the good news. It's work. It is so much work. I, if you have never, like, it's exhausting to preach. It's absolutely exhausting because you're not just working against trying to communicate effectively, but there is a spiritual sense there that's also taking place because Satan does not want to hear, people to hear the gospel message. So it's this constant battle that is taking place. It's work. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. I love how he ends that. God has given you. The ministry God has given you. What is your ministry? In a day and age when we're trying to ask, you know, what do you want to do with your life? What is, what is your job? What is your career plan? Where's your five-year goals and everything like that? Maybe as Christians, maybe we should start maybe more asking that knowing that God is real, Jesus is coming back, Maybe we need to really be asking, what ministry is God calling you to? And maybe it is that career, that is your ministry, that is going to be your mission ground, but you need to go into it knowing that's my mission field, not my career. Listen, Jesus is coming back. 
and he's going to start to start the party. And the question is, what role are you going to play? Are you going to just continue doing things your own way, or are you going to do all that you can to get the most people to be at the party? Because the more people, the more there is to celebrate, and the funner it is. We've got to proclaim that the party is about to begin, and the way to the party is through Jesus. We're inviting people to come know Jesus so that you can fully know life, and you can actually party even in the, hard, uh, the hardest of times. But we need to proclaim that the party is about to begin because the king is on the way. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Behold, our king is returning. Prepare the way. Father, may we prepare the way. May we take upon this calling that you call us to be heralds for you, that we will faithfully proclaim your word, that we would allow your word to get into us, and then we would funnel it out and proclaim it to others. Because the world is on fire. It is crumbling, and it is getting destroyed before our very eyes. This world has nothing to offer to us, so why do we keep trying to hold upon it? It's simply sand. You have everything. You are everything that we need, and forgive us for the times that we have tried to go towards lesser gods, that we have we've set aside your word to try to follow our own wisdom and understanding. God, Enough is enough. May we proclaim and prepare the way for your coming. May you empower us with your spirit to do so, to remain immovable in the midst of the suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.